to the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. The best and brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes. We'll talk to them all and we'll get the good, the bad, and the ugly on how they made it. Decoding the secrets of success. Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. Unveiling the paths to success. And now your host, Terry Barr. Welcome in. We have a great guest today. His name's Matt Riggins. Matt is a longtime friend of mine, known him for quite a few years. In fact, ever since he was in high school, he and his wife, Victoria, chartered the Shigoshi. Vicky by short, right? Yes, sir. They have uh, five kids. Yep. Five kids. I only know three of them, Naomi, Josiah, and Elias. I don't know the other two's names. We have Zakaya and Tyrus. Kind of Zakaya and Tyrus. Kind of rounding out the crew. Rounding out the crew. A very active little family. I guess, you know, in this day and age, we get to watch you on Facebook and, you know, baseball and travel and all the kind of things you do with the kiddos. So it's fun to watch them grow up around. But uh, Vicky thought maybe she'd come in today and share with us, but she's actually continuing in the work that they mm-hmm. do. And so we're excited to let her go do that. And we'll uh, talk to Matt today. Matt is with a um, an organization called Global Partners in Peace and Development. And I've known about this organization for a while through Matt and done, you know, a couple little things. I know my wife donates to their organization pretty heavily and we've done some golf tournaments and some other things, but uh, for lack of a better term, they, they raise money here in the States and abroad to supply development things for underprivileged countries, mainly water wells. I know that uh, Matt is in charge of that. Mm-hmm. He's a communications and trip director there. But uh, So we wanted to jump in here a little bit with Matt and hear about his story, hear about his uh, how he got involved and uh, what brought him from uh, as a young man to this point. So Welcome in, Matt. We're glad to have you. Thanks for coming, taking some time out of your busy yeah, for sure. Busy day. Thanks for the invitation. It's an honor to be here with you, Terry. Absolutely. Thank you. So, really, what I wanted to do is I wanted to start off uh, a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your your family, mom and dad. How'd you grow up? You've been in this area for a while. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about you. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, like you said, growing up in uh, Central Pennsylvania, my dad is actually a pastor. And so neither of my parents are from this area. They both come from the South. So in some ways, missions was always a big part of our family because you could say that they were missionaries to central Pennsylvania, right. uh, going way back into the seventies, the church, new life church in New Cumberland will be coming up on 50 years. And my dad has been the, the pastor since its birth. So a lot of credit to them, you know, just for establishing us here as a family in this area. Uh, but no other family of ours live in this area. So we kind of had to just sort of blaze our own trail here. So I grew up obviously in the church going to, you know, youth group as a kid. And, and I was at Bible Baptist, which is now West Shore Christian, which is where we connected back in the day. And, uh, I'm grateful for my upbringing. You know, I look back and I think of all the people that have poured into my life and a lot of it had to do with that upbringing and the opportunities that were put in front of me. Uh, Terry, you were part of that. And uh, I remember you were my freshman year baseball coach. And I tell kids, I coach uh, Little League Baseball, my kids, my sons. So you mentioned Naomi. And uh, I don't know if you mentioned this, but Naomi is 13. And then we have Josiah is 11. Elias is 10. Zakiah is 6. And Tyrus is 5. And I okay. coach the older boys. Okay. And I've coached various teams throughout the years. Yeah. And, and I tell kids 
to this day that my freshman year of baseball, because these are these are 10 and 11 year olds, right. freshman year, probably 15 years old. So there's things that I did not know until my freshman year of baseball, because that's when my coach finally taught me mm. some of the, the things that were valuable to know in the game of baseball. And so I'm grateful for so many of the connections that I made, you know, back in those days. But when I graduated high school, I kind of went off that path and I started really trying to figure out my own identity and trying to figure out who I was in this world. I think a lot of young people go through those, those struggles and those challenges. And, and boy, I, I really, you know, went down this wrong path of just seeking pleasure and entertainment and trying to find something that would make me happy. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that moment in time, because I think that's important to transition for a lot of kids. You know, when I knew you as a young man, you were, you know, you were full of energy and you were a happy-go-lucky guy and never know really what you were going to do with yourself. And your, your brother was similar to that. I know you have a brother, Jason. And so, you know, you look at somebody and you go, man, that guy is just full of energy. He's all over the place. So at that moment in time where I think a lot of kids do the same thing, a lot of young people do the same thing. They, they graduate, they're finally out of the tutelage of mom and dad, and they go down this road that of discovery, I guess, if you will. And, you know, as parents, you know this because you have five kids, but as parents, you go, oh, don't go there. Don't go there. That road's no good. Don't go down that road. And yet it seems like it's, I hate to say rite of passage because it doesn't have to be, but it seems like that's where kids, you know, they, they try to figure out, well, maybe mom and dad are wrong. Let me go try, try this other thing. So at that point in time in your life, when you're starting to think about, you know, being a senior, going off on your own getting out from neath. I know I did the same thing. I went to college and I didn't drink alcohol until I was for my first day of college. I was like, Hey, mom and dad aren't going to be there when I get home. I can do what I want. And, uh, so that was kind of my thing, but what, what went through your mind at that point? I mean, I know it's not a moment, but, uh, in that period of time, as you're trying to, uh, trying to find yourself, tell me about that whole discovery. Process. Yeah. And so obviously growing up in the church, my faith was strong, but it was never really, it was never really my own. And I never truly had that deep connection with God. So in those moments, I don't think that I was rebellious. I was never angry at God. I was never bitter toward the church. I know that's why a lot of young people leave sure. a church setting or maybe what they were, how they were brought up. I just wanted to have fun. <laughs> and you mentioned it kind of always, always uh, wanting to be uh, somewhat the life of the party or just enjoy being around people. That's one of the gifts that I think God gave me is I love being around people. Right. And so naturally, if something was fun or enjoyable, I was attracted to it. So that definitely got me into some trouble. And, and in some ways, I, I've always imagined myself a little bit as like the story of the prodigal set, mm -hmm. where it was there, it was an opportunity, and I jumped into it. And similar to the story, I can remember exact moments when I felt like I was literally in the pig pen, mm. where I felt like I was just in the mud. And it was not fun. It was not enjoyable. And I felt like I, I was continually chasing things that I thought would make me happy. But what I ended up finding is these are the things that ultimately led to my misery. And they led to discouragement and they led to despair. And, and I got tired of being sick and tired. I really got sick and yeah. tired of being sick and tired because that's how I was. And so it was a tough, tough journey to break out of that. How long did it take? So it really started when I was probably 18, 19. Well, you could really say probably 15 or 16, but it wasn't until I was 24. And I'm Terry, I don't know if you know the story, but when I was around 24 years old, 
some buddies of mine were at, my parents were out of town. So I, I had gone back to living yeah. with my parents and things had just spiraled out of control. A lot of kids I, do this. I days. still wasn't ready to like really take ownership of my life. So I, I think I might've been 23, 22, 23, somewhere in there. Some buddies were over at my house. My parents were away. They were out of town, mm-hmm. out, down the Outer Banks. And we had a paintball gun in the yard and we were just shooting it at the trees and right. maybe pretending to shoot at birds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, it got jammed. And so I just being stupid and probably had, you know, yeah. some drinks in me, I'm, I'm trying to dislodge this thing. And, you know, I had the, uh, the safety on and not really fully understanding how these things would work. Yeah. Should have disconnected the air cartridge, right. did not. And lo and behold, this thing discharged point blank into my left eye. Mm. And so in that moment, everything kind of went black. I I remember going into the the bathroom at that moment. My my friends were there. They were all panicked, looked in the mirror, and it looked as if Mike Tyson had just taken a, a handful of punches onto my eye. It was completely swollen over. So... Jeff Oman, I don't know if you remember the name. Yeah, sure. he, he was the one who gave me the uh, ride to the hospital that night. And um, I remember a moment where I'm laying in the back of his truck in a lot of pain and he's panicked trying to get me to the hospital. Yeah. And if you're in downtown Harrisburg and you're sitting at a red light, sometimes in order for people to walk across the street, the, the, right. the birds chirp, you know, yeah. the birds chirping yeah. on the walking. Let side. them know. Yeah. And, he, and he's flipping out because he says, come on, we got to hurry up and go. And I was like, dude, have some sympathy for the blind people here because (laughs) (laughs) so that led me to a journey of really reflecting on my life. And I always tell people in that moment I was blind, but I began to see more clearly than I ever have before. Wow! And it was a journey probably about six weeks of just not just dealing with the pain of the, the accident of what had happened. I required three surgeries. And to this day, I don't fully see out of the left eye. I can see fairly well. Uh, occasionally my eye kind of gets lazy, yeah. but it was, it really helped to turn the corner of my life. And it was in the recovery period that I read the purpose driven life. Sure. I don't know if you remember that book, yeah. Rick Warren and everything changed for me. Mm. It wasn't perfect mm. and I still struggled in a lot of ways, but that's what really turned my life around was what were you doing? What were you doing for vocation at that time? Yeah. Uh, So even when I was in high school, yep. When I was in high school, I had a job going all the way back to when I was 13 is when I started there Mm -hmm. and I would leave school. I would leave baseball practice. I remember quitting sports because they just didn't bring excitement for me anymore uh, because I enjoyed working and we would work long hours and Back in those days, I, my former boss, who is still on the board of directors for Global Partners, and he's a great guy, you know, one of my mentors for sure. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot of what I've learned in work from him, but he had great vision. And man, we bought into that bi- vision. Mm-hmm. And so I loved working for him. We would work long hours, whatever it took to get the job done. And so that was where I was working at the time uh, when that happened. Actually, he was a big part of my recovery period. Mm-hmm. And helped line me up with an eye doctor that to this day I'm grateful for and very thankful for. Now, is that part of your, you know, you said you learn how to work, you learn how to buy into a vision. Is that helped you, you know, when you went from working for, for that gentleman into what you're doing now? I said part of what helped you 
be so committed to what you're doing now? I think so. And I think I have a different perspective than most people that are in ministry. A lot of people that are in ministry, they go to college to be in ministry. They graduate college. They jump right into church life. They jump into missions life. You know, my journey took me in through the, you know, if you will, the workforce. Right. Uh, I worked my way up there as, you know, a teenager that was just working on the floor. Manufacturing is what it was. And I worked my way up into purchasing just by working hard Mm -hmm. and by being committed. And so that same mentality has now brought me into this ministry life where it's a grind in a sense where we have to stay focused and we want to get the job done. And I've had people tell me that they're like, in some ways, I wish that I had come through the same path because it gives you a different perspective. So you, I mean, you grew up in a Christian school and you had a lot of Christian friends or, you know, folks that grew up in pretty good families and families that that promoted faith and those kinds of things, whether someone's a believer or not, that's their own journey with, you know, the Lord and those kinds of things. But you mentioned that, you know, some people come up into ministry through, you know, high school, then they go to college and then they're, you know, they're struck by the bug of ministry in college. And then they work their way into a, you know, an ABWE or something like that, a more structured type of thing. What do you think about that road? I see a lot of people that leave that road for some reason. I mean, what do you think that the, the, um, comparison of the road that you took versus kind of the more structured road. Are there things that um, maybe aren't covered or are there things that you, you're finding in the field train you a little better? I think the biggest thing is the struggle for somebody that's in ministry is how well do they relate to the people that they are serving? So if it's a pastor, for example, it's the people who are congregating with you each week. If you're in missions or the way that we are, it's the donor base, the, sure. those that we're connecting with. And and for me, it allows me, I know how it feels to be in the just the regular workforce. Right. So I, I'm very sympathetic to somebody's hard earned money. Mm-hmm. It's never guaranteed. It's never, right. they worked hard for that money. So when they give, when anybody gives to us as an organization and me, one of my roles is to really connect with that person and help that person connect directly with what they've given to. So I want to share with them, whether it's videos or pictures or details or statistics, like specifically what they gave to, because I know how hard it was to earn that money. I know how hard they worked to earn that and and the, the months and years that they put in to get to where they are. And so I think that's a little bit of a different perspective than maybe somebody, trust me, I'm not suggesting that those that are in ministry are- No, I understand. It's it's a different, it is a different different mindset though. And so I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful to have worked for basically the one boss that I worked for my whole life up until my my current boss. Yeah, yeah. So they are both the two probably most influential people in my life. So what drove you to- go from the workforce to ministry. You talked about the time where, you know, with your eye and your recovery and and the book that you read and that changed everything. Was that kind of the impetus to you saying, I I just want to give myself to ministry? I mean, I think that's where we're at. And and where does your wife, Vicky, when did she come into the picture there? Because she's a big, huge part of uh, of, of of your ministry life. There was a couple things. The biggest thing, obviously, was that transition point that I talked about. And it was during that moment that I got asked to be a part of a Bible study, which, again, that was something that I was like, "Ah, I don't really know. I don't really want to, you know. So I did. I joined Nate Shuff, actually. It was the one who invited me to be a part of that. And I was grateful for that. And then Nate 
and Dave Ishler, yeah. I'm throwing some names at yeah. you that you remember from back in the day, and myself, all three of us started a kind of a, I forget what we called it now, but we, we were based on Ecclesiastes 4.13, which is triple braided cord cannot be easily broken. Sure. And, and the three of us became sort of back to back to back brothers. Accountability yep. people. And we would meet each, I think it was Tuesday night, you know, and really all we did was pray together, which was very uncomfortable for me at the time. Sure. And, and we had a whole list of nine things and each week, three of us would take three of them and we would focus on those things. And Nate kind of drove that. Tell so, me why. Now, so for some people that are going to listen to this podcast, because you know, I've got a lot of different guests here. So it's not a quote unquote spiritual podcast or religious podcast. It's a, it's a podcast that's going to cover a bunch of different things. So the people that are listening, you know, why does a young man of 24 or 25 or whatever, you know, why does he get together with other guys and, and quote unquote pray? I mean, you know, if you're from a spiritual background and you're, you're a man of faith, you obviously believe in praying to the Lord and glorifying him and your prayers and those kinds of things. But why, why does somebody commit themselves to that? For me, I was desperate and I was working. I had a great job. I was making good money. I was single. I could do whatever I want. I actually bought my a house and I was living on my own and essentially should have been happy. But I saw something in Nate that I was jealous of. And Nate and I had come from the same path. Yep. We ran together and yep. he cleaned himself up about a year before me. And I was internally a little bit jealous, but I also had a lot of respect and admiration for him having the courage to do what he did. So when he, after my eye accident, when he invited me to be a part of that group, that meant the world in a sense where I was like, wow, I felt included. I felt invited into something that wasn't going to shoot pool at the bar at yeah. 2 a.m. And, and, you know, chase things like this seemed like it was the right thing to do. And even though it was hard, there was, was no risk to it. There was yeah, uh, no dirty side to it. Or I know a lot, you know, you know, the, I spent some time there, you know, you go to a bar, it might be innocuous in it's in itself, but there's lots of little things, little dirty edges to it. Yeah. And it's not a great place to be. And, you know, go into a, to shoot pool until two in the mornings and itself, you know, pretty, pretty benign, yeah. but, but there are a lot of little dirty edges to it. So go into something like a, a Bible study. It seems like, well, this is not, maybe it's an accuracy, but there are a lot of good edges to this to maybe come out of it, but tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So those guys were real influential in those, in that time of my life. Cause I was, I was vulnerable. I was still weak and actually, man, I fell pretty quickly after getting invited into that because two weeks after I joined that Bible study, this really cute girl showed up and I was like, man, God, you are amazing. You know? <laughs> and sure enough, like she wasn't right, but I got sucked into that yeah. really quick. And so again, the triple braided cord thing started shortly after that. And the three of us really leaned on each other. And then those guys got married <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of lost that group with them. Yeah. Dave moved down to Lancaster and uh, we kind of moved on into the next season of our lives. And Nate had also given me the opportunity and he was serving in our youth group at the time. And I wanted to be connected to him. I was, I was yeah. really thankful for him. And so the, the day that I committed, I said, all right, I'll do it. I want to volunteer. I'm going to help. I'm going to serve with these teenagers. The very first week that I started, Nate stopped <laughs> <laughs> because he was starting to move into the next phase of his life. Right. And I was discouraged and, and frustrated at him in a way, but I understood and I respected, but it was good for me because now I had to, to sort of figure this out on my own. I'm in. 
<laughs> and um, and so my current father-in-law, at the time he wasn't, he was actually the youth pastor at our church, and I got to serve together with him. And that's where I really began to see what volunteer work and ministry work looked like. Because now on Wednesday nights, I was showing up at the church. There were these kids that were coming in and I was getting to know them. It took a while. It took a good, sure. good year or so to really kind of get my feet planted there. And then our church went through some difficult transitions. My current father-in-law ended up leaving the church and I was asked to then take over the youth ministry, mm. which was a big, big, big step for somebody who just about a year or two before was, was basically the prodigal. But I had turned things around at that point. And so it was in that time period where I met Vicky. Now she's much younger than me. Okay. Uh, we're seven and a half years apart. Okay. So when we were married, I was 28, she was 20. Oh, wow. So people laugh at us for this. We have a really kind of fun, unique side to our story. I promise you, we didn't start dating until <laughs> she was over 18, <laughs> but we knew each other. You know, our fathers were pastors. Right. So we had this connection along with Nate. His dad was a pastor. Yeah. But it was so, so my wife and I had that connection where yeah. our dads were both pastors mm -hmm. and we were both driven to missions. We were on a missions trip together when she was maybe 15. And um, Angela Schuff was on that missions trip, some others that we went down to Peru. And so we've had these kind of connections with each other you know, when she was going through high school and then into college. And then after she was in college, we kind of started. Actually did. Yeah. Gotcha. And God brought us together. And I'm really grateful for, obviously for her, she really helped to help me to stay grounded and focused. And so youth ministry went on for probably five or six years. And we saw our youth group grow to over, I, I think one night we had a hundred kids come out. Oh. This was when we started there was less than 10. How about that? And so we focused on non-churched kids, mainly within the Redland, Crossroads, middle school, high school area. And it was an amazing, fun part of my life. But I was working a full-time job and yeah. youth ministry at the same time. It was, it was straight. Once I started to have kids, that really wasn't going to be sustainable. Yeah. So tell me about that little transition, getting your life together, so to speak, diving in after only being kind of on a good path for a year, becoming a youth pastor of sorts and developing that relationship with ministry, at what point did you say, I think I want to do this full time because you're making good money, you get married, you have a child, you know, that seems like a little counterintuitive to say, okay, now that I'm married and I have responsibility, let me go into ministry because that's not always the best. That's not the best feeling because that's a, that's a tough road to, to hoe there. But Tell me what happened there that kind of triggered you to. Yeah. So during Thanksgiving, we would always get together with, with our family, our extended family. And I'll never forget the, uh, this was right after the eye accident. So my, my mind is, is already kind of spinning towards like, I need to do something different. I think the youth ministry stuff had kind of just started or the Bible study stuff had started. And we went to Virginia for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. My cousin, Jonathan. He's the one who founded Global Partners in Peace and Development. So, oh, is that right? Yep. He's, okay. he's my boss today. Him and I were always really close. When our, his brothers got married, him and I stayed close and we would travel together. We used to fly out to California and go visit baseball stadiums before either of us were married. But he was doing missions work and I was hanging out in bars. Right. Like this was the difference between us. But he never judged me. He never criticized me. He loved me as a brother. 
So he comes home literally, I think from a trip to somewhere around the world the day before Thanksgiving. And I remember he's just exhausted and wiped out. We're there just yeah, loving life. Open it up. He's sleeping. And, right. But he's telling stories about his trip. And he says to me, he says, you know, we have a trip to India in January if you want to go. And this is what he said. And I was like, oh, my, yeah, we're at Thanksgiving. This is five weeks, maybe six weeks away. Yeah, yeah. How much is it? You know, $2,800, whatever it was. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't think I could do this. And it uh, sounds cool. It sounds exciting. But I was like, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. And so I guess, I don't even remember, but I think I somehow committed to this. And I started to raise money or ask people for money or however to support this trip. And I ended up, I think, raising like $4,000, mm. like within a couple of weeks. Mm. And so I felt like, you know, this was okay, God's first thing of saying like, hey, you, you want to go on this trip. So this, yeah. this was January of 2006, I think. And there was a tsunami that hit India around Christmas. Now, was Global Partners, were they a thing at that point in time? Yeah. So back then it was mostly like pastor training, church planting. Okay. So okay. there wasn't as much as the humanitarian gotcha. stuff that we were doing, although child sponsorships yeah. was then and still is today a big thing for us in India. So when I went on that trip, the tsunami had just happened about three weeks. The tsunami happened after the trip was planned. Mm. So that sort of shifted our, our focus. And I remember we went to what was soon to be an orphan home. And there was a little girl that was maybe, uh, six months old, maybe nine months old. Mm -hmm. And her sister, who was a year older, who had lost their parents in the tsunami. And I said, because I had raised the extra money, right. I was like, I want to use some of these extra funds to help get this, this orphan home started right. and to help sponsor this girl. And to this day, this girl is now 21 years old and, and we're still sponsoring her as a family. And I'm, I'm grateful that she's still there. A lot of times the kids will leave for various reasons right. or they get married so I, I consider it a blessing that God has allowed me and now our family to be a part of her life. Her name's Pallavi, and I was holding her in my arms when she was just a baby. But when I went back to work, yeah. when I came back to the U.S. and went back to work, not youth ministry, but my, well, my yeah. office job where I was doing purchasing, and I loved it. It was secure. It was stable. I worked with great people. I couldn't focus. And I, I just could not get that feeling out of my bones that, mm. you know, there is so much more. And then I really started to feel guilty because I loved the company I worked for, sure. but man, my passion was kind of in making change, yeah, yeah, shifting into this sure. new direction. But how do you make money and just go do those sort of things? So those, that's what I was wrestling with. And I knew that I was going into full-time wherever that looked like. And about a year later, so I wrestled with that for a while. In my heart, I wanted to do youth ministry, but I also wanted to do missions. And we just prayed about this really, you know, God, which door is this going to be? Or do I just stay where I'm at? And we ended up taking our teenagers. So this was, you know, a year or two later, ended up taking our teenagers on a trip to uh, Haiti. So we took them to Haiti and Jonathan, this is now with Global Partners again. Right. Jonathan said, hey, because at this point I had learned how to play guitar. He said, do you think you can lead some of our teams while we're down there? Absolutely. And after that trip, he calls me up and he says, hey, he's like, I really appreciate all the work that you did down there. He goes, I've been talking to our leadership team 
And he goes, and by leadership team, I mean my wife. <laughs> and he goes, and we would like you to know if you would want to come on board with Global Partners. Wow. Now, here's the thing. At the same time, we were being considered to come on full-time at the church. So the church didn't know about Global Partners. Global Partners didn't know about the church. Only my wife and I did. And we read a book called The Circle Maker. Sure. Yeah, I read it. And, yeah. and The Circle Maker is all about like, we're just going to take this thing and wrap it and circle it in prayer and trust God that he's going to give us the answer. And for two months, we didn't have an answer. And the day we had a board meeting at the church where the church was going to either offer us a position or essentially say like, it's not, it's not in, the, in the budget. Not in the budget. And both Vicky and I woke up that morning and we had this piece that we knew Global Partners was the way. The only thing with Global Partners is we were going to have to raise our own salary, right. essentially, right. which is a big, big, big task. But we woke up that morning and we said, I think we feel like we know what we're, the direction we're going to go. So now I have this guilty feeling that if the church offers me a position, a yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to turn it down after going two months. Well, they uh, went through this whole process, you know, numbers, 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 and I love those guys. And, and at the end, they were like, so the bottom line is it's just not in the budget. And the amount of relief that I felt in that moment, yeah. I tr didn't try to portray it there in the meeting because we went another two months before we announced you know, global, because I was doing youth ministry, yeah. you know, I, these teenagers were family to me. Sure. And that was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was stand up in front of them. And, you know, we made this announcement in December, come June, when this class graduates, that that's when we're going to transition out. And man, there were tears in the room and it was hard. So th those were challenging transitions for us, but that was 10 years ago. And God's been with us and he's blessed us in so many ways, you know, since then. And we've added four more kids, three and four kids since then. Yeah. You've got a nice growing family. So give me, let me switch gears a little bit. Let me switch gears right over into global partners because global partners has been something you've been involved with a long time. You made that, you just gave me the story that I didn't know all the details, but tell me about global partners, who they are. And you've said about who they are a little bit, but, but talk to me about what your role there is what that means to you personally, what sort of uh, daily habits you fit into how you serve that community and the com that community. I mean, you know, Haiti and, and India and even some in Africa. Tell me about them as it fits into your daily life. Yeah, essentially we look at ourselves or view ourselves as a bridge. So obviously we're connected in the States. Global Partners headquarters is in Roanoke, Virginia. I had the option to move to Virginia or stay locally here in Pennsylvania. I've been blessed to create a lot of connections up here in Pennsylvania. So in that sense, it made more sense to stay here. This bridge connects people who want to give, who want to get involved, but don't know where to give or don't want to give to just the big organizations or those that you see on TV. They want to have a personal touch. And so we create this bridge to allow them to walk across it. And for us, those opportunities are in Haiti, in India, in Uganda, in uh, soon to be Guatemala and Slovakia and other parts of the world, Jordan in the Middle East. All of those locations kind of have a separate, unique ministry aspect. All doing the same thing? Similar. The same thing in the fact that, yes, we're, we're trying to show the love of Christ to people. Sure, but uh, different. From a, from a need standpoint, are yep. you doing different, different needs? So in Jordan, there's the big thing is refugee ministry. Okay. You know, so you've got refugees from Syria and Iraq. And of course, right now there's like crisis in the Middle East. There's a lot of tension and turmoil there. So the Jordan ministry is, is really 
church focus, one central location, refugees come into the church, their needs are being met this time of year, blankets and heaters and, you know, that sort of thing. Right. In India, it's water wells and, mm-hmm. and children. And, and in India, we're giving out goats and sheep, yeah, chickens, and I read water that. buffalo. And you've done, I think since, I think it said 2011, you've done well over 500 water wells. I mean, that's Yeah. So when I came incredible. on board with Global Partners, and I, I didn't know this was going to be something that really just sort of opened up for me, but we had only done, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like seven water wells. It just wasn't a focus for us. Yeah. And it might've been 13, somewhere in that neighborhood. And then Jonathan and I were on a trip to India in the early, this was one of my first trips, not counting the one that I went on, you know, after the tsunami, but this would have been 2014 or 15. And here again, we, we are traveling around village to village and giving out things, blankets, widows, uh, saris and, and whatnot. And we, we get up on this platform. We are in this unreached people, uh, like talking tribal village. Yeah. And I'm standing on a platform made of bamboo sticks and we're just preaching essentially is what we're doing. I go, he goes, you know, and we're going through the translator and we got it done and, you know, we're both kind of congratulating each other. Man, that was really good. You really felt well, like, you know, and uh, all of a sudden there's this guy in the back and he's just blabber. Like we can't understand what he's saying. Sure. And our partner is kind of trying to like calm him down a little bit. And it's quite possible in these tribal villages, there's a lot of drunkards that are around. Okay, So it's quite possible that he was, but either way, like both of Jonathan and I are like, well, we want to know what he's saying. Sure. And he's like, nah, you don't don't worry about it. No, no, no. Seriously. Like, you know, what's he, what's he concerned about? Because it's like, it means something to us. And he goes, well, essentially what he's saying is what you guys said was great. Everything that you said was great, but what we really need is water. And in that moment, we were like, huh, like the, the way that we congratulated each other kind of like was like, you know, and that's the way Jesus worked was he continually was meeting people's physical needs. And then that would open the door for him to really like meet their spiritual need. And so that spurred me to, okay, what do we got to do? So it really changed my mindset of how can I promote this? How can we promote this? How can we use water wells as a tool? And we were already connected to over 500 pastors in India. We still are. So those pastors now are the feet on the ground. They know the needs better than I'll ever know the needs there. Sure. They know the villages better than I'll ever know. Them. Did that village ever get a water well? Yeah. Yeah. And we had to take a boat to get there. So yeah. we didn't even know if we could. Yeah. But yeah, we, we came home. We said, we're going to raise money to get that village a water well. And so we did. They had to transport pipes and whatnot down or bring them you know, through the deep woods and yeah. get it there. And so we praise God that he, that this drunk guy yeah. <laughs> essentially was what really changed our, our uh, mindset, mindset of what they really need. Let me ask you another question. Cause I know there are a lot of HMOs over there and trying to do good work for humanity. Mm-hmm. And I've read some things in the past, not even coming up to this interview, but last year I was reading about the difference between some of those humanitarian organizations and the Christian-based humanitarian organizations. And the overwhelming thought was that, and this was coming from a non-Christian organization doing the research, there's something about the Christian organizations that make it work better Mm. than the HMOs, which have a lot of money. So I don't know if you can tell me about that, but tell me about and I know the difference, but people out there may not know. What's the overriding difference between you folks? Are you talking specifically in India? Anywhere. Yeah. 
anywhere, quite frankly. India is very unique. And I think everywhere around the world probably has its uniqueness. Sure. Uh, India is, you know, maybe five to 10% Christian, you know, 95% and 90% Hindu, maybe 5% Muslim. And Hinduism is a really, you know, their, their beliefs, we have to kind of work around. And, uh, for me, when I go there, I can tell just by looking at people what their belief is. Tell me about that. And mostly you can see it in their eyes. And, and I don't mean this to sound cliche. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed to be. But when we're doing a water well dedication among Christians, because we, we don't, every well, it doesn't just go. I, I think sometimes people give to us and they expect us to go there and create converts with the well. Right, right. A lot of our wells are actually for the church. So there, most of the people at the dedications are believers. So, you know, we're really encouraging the body, but if, if it's not, and we're in say a a people group village, you can see it in their eyes. There's, there's a, there's something missing. And I, and I don't mean to just say it because we've grown up hearing that, but it's visible. You can see it. There's something missing. And so for us, the reason it works and, and really Terry, this goes back 30 years when before Jonathan started going to India, my grandfather was going to India. And my grandfather is really who blazed that path because he went over there to just, my grandfather was an evangelist. He'd go to Africa, he'd go to India, he'd go to different from Russia. And and all he did was preach. That was what he did. And so he would go village to village to village in India. And our partner to this day, his name is Stephen, was at one of these villages and heard my grandfather speak. Mm. And he came up to him. Stephen's brother was translating for my grandfather. He went to, to meet my grandfather and he said, how, how can I partner together with you? Or how can you partner together with me? And my grandfather looked him in the eyes and said, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and he said, he said, I tell you what, he's like, I will come. I mean, my grandfather's at home in Virginia, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He said, I will come and stay with you for six months. And he's like, and I will travel with you and I will serve together with you. And after six months, we'll see if this makes sense. <laughs> so I think it was six, might've been three, but it was a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. And so my grandfather goes over there and stays with Stephen and begins to travel around with him. And to this, you know, when I think about that story, I'm like, wow, you know, cause when I meet Stephen, I'm like, I would pay money to travel with this guy. Like yeah. he's, he's that kind of a guy. I, I love serving together with him. That's what created that initial relationship. Mm. So now Stephen, my grandfather passed away, you know, probably 10 years ago. And Stephen is, and then Jonathan and Stephen began to work together, you know, back in the early 2000s when my grandfather sort of handed the baton over to Jonathan. And Stephen is the one that's connected to over 1,200 churches, over 500 pastors. And so without those connections on the ground, yeah, we're just like spitting in the wind, essentially, like hoping that the money goes where we hope it goes. Yeah. But we've had to work really hard to continue to grow these relationships that were built. Yeah. And, and that's why we go as often as we do is to reconnect with these pastors so that we trust them. We've been burned. We've had situations where we had children that we thought were orphans, that here they were just kids dressed up. Kids of Kids of the neighborhood, huh? Yeah. Mm. And, and we've been burned before and we've had to own up to that. We've told donors, like, we are really sorry. And we actually had one donor tell us they wanted all their money back mm. that they gave to us, wow. which we're not required. You know, if you give sure. to a nonprofit, sure. but we wanted to be very honorable in that way. Yeah. And um, 
Did they still need help? Yeah. Probably. But was it a little bit misleading? Yeah, we owned up to that mistake. And so we've had to change, you know, how we communicate things. We try not to sell gimmicky, sad stories. Yeah. We try to sell reality. And again, selling is a bad word, but it's just the reality just of, wanted, of, of what it is. We're, we're marketing, but we're not in it to make money. We, we are not in Global Partners does not thrive on, we're, we're a small nonprofit and, and we want the money that people give to go directly to what they give to, right. not to cover our overhead and not to cover our expenses. Well, it's interesting because um, I would say probably about the time that you and I met when you were in high school, I was your coach. I was struggling with uh, a couple different things when it came to giving to the needy. And of course, it was my own, my own thought process. You know, well, are they really worthy of this? Do they really need this? Is this something that I should, you know, I'd see somebody homeless or somebody begging on the street. And I'm like, I wonder if they're really homeless or I wonder if they really don't have a job or, you know, they really, would they really work for food? And, and God really, he really pricked my heart over that. And, uh, he said, that's not for you. For me, this is what I finally came to the the realization is, is this not for me to judge that it's really for me when he, when he gives me the inclination that there's somebody that is in front of me that needs something that I need to act on that. Regardless of their motives, my motives have to be in his, you know, in, in the Lord's defense. Yeah. So that really changed the way I look at things. So if I'm, you know, if I'm anywhere, well, I was in New York City a couple of days ago and there's a lot of that, a lot of that going yeah. on there and it's not all out in the open, but you know, I just don't, I don't judge it anymore. Cause I can tell you that most of the people out there doing that, I wouldn't do that. They're worse off than me. I promise you regardless. So there's a certain part of me that says, look, if, if God pricks your heart to do something, you need to do it and let him you know, let him work out the details. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where. If I had a dime for every time that I've heard somebody say to me or post on one of yeah. our Facebook posts or whatever yeah. that, why are we helping them out sure. when we have so many needs here? Yeah, And I respect that, but that's the beauty of the body. I think that if God has a, pa- I always say to that person, I was like, nothing's stopping you from helping, right. you know, this need that yeah, we have true. right here. And there are hundreds of opportunity, we can walk out these doors right now and find hundreds of local organizations that are helping people here. And I commend that, and I think we should support that. And yeah. I do. I, we support our local organizations, but God has put a passion in our heart for those, you know, that are really desperate and needy. And so I think that's the beauty of the body, and yep. the body of, of Christ is working together. But just our general community working sure. together within our community, man, we can help. And I. I had an interesting moment serving homeless people down in uh, Harrisburg one time. And, and again, I'm thankful. My buddy, Tom Russell, who yeah, you know, sure. he yeah. serves every week and, and sometimes, you know, a uh, desire to get involved there. Uh, but I, I literally, yeah, I was talking to a homeless younger, you know, he's probably at 30 at the time. And he said, he basically proved your point there. Yeah. He said, you know, I, I can, I can get food every day of the week. He's like, I don't, I don't have any worries in the world. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him and I'm like, man, but like, <laughs> where, where's your joy? Like, you know, he wanted to live this lazy life. Yeah. And so I struggled with that too. Sure. And I've had to learn to, you know, when I give it's to the Lord. Yeah. When, it's for the Lord. When to I, the Lord. Yeah. I'm giving to something. It's for the Lord. It's not necessarily yeah. for that specific purpose and, and then leave it in his hands. Yeah. And I can't attach myself emotionally to it. Yeah. I, I can tell you, but that by the same token, I would, you can't go to a third world country 
and compare their needs to ours and, and walk away saying, ah, I think I'll go back to the U S and just, you know, help the guy down the street. You can do that too. But if you go on one of those trips, yeah. you, you'll be inclined. And that's why it was hard for me. Same way. Cause I felt that personally yeah, going personally. to Jordan in the early, and you know, when I was sitting in homes of people who had fled war, yeah, like literally there were bullet holes in their vehicles. They had nothing but what they could carry with them. Yeah. And I'm sitting in these, in these four walls basically is where they're, where they were placed and hearing their stories. Yeah. It gives you a different perspective when you come back and you're serving, you know, sure. I, again, I am not veterans here in the U S of course, my goodness. Like I, I it's not mutually exclusive. It's either, it's not either yeah. or. And that, that's why I think people get caught up with, they say, well, Instead of doing this, you should be doing that. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe we should be doing a little bit of both of that. Maybe you should be jumping in. Yeah. Maybe. So I, I, I get that perspective and I've, I work through that struggle as a young person, probably your age, trying to figure out how I dealt with that. And Youth ministry helped me there because we were dealing with a lot of, uh, like I said, unchurched, you know, which, which meant a lot of these family situations were rough. And sometimes we would feel led to help a family out. And uh, we just had to trust that they were going to take what we gave them and use it in right. the way that we had hoped, but sometimes they didn't. Sure. And we would just kind of be like, you know what? It's in the Lord's hands. That's right. That's right. This episode of Grind to Growth to Greatness is brought to you by Terry Barr. Distinctive real estate. Advising families across Pennsylvania and Northern Virginia for over 15 years. Visit the website at terrybarrealestate.com. Well, let me shift gears a little bit, but I know you're in a pretty heady position. You've got a lot of responsibility to those you carry over to India and you've gone in some of those places. Who do you go to for advice? Who's your mentor? I know you, you mentioned a couple of the men and maybe that's the answer to the question, but you know, who do you, who do you on a daily basis really rely on when it comes to those hard questions? Well, yeah, for sure. I mentioned you know, those guys, Jeff and, and Jonathan, but without a doubt, hundred percent. And again, I hope this doesn't sound too cliche, but my wife yeah. is the rock that I would almost a hundred percent of the time, if I feel like I'm in a difficult situation, she's the one that I'm going to. And that wasn't always the case, but over the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, like she has proved to me that she is valuable in her wisdom and her insight. And I used to want to just make decisions on my own, Yep. but she, so it, this could be baseball related you know, when you're coach, when you're coaching teams, you're dealing with 10 different personalities, families wise, you know, there's a lot of conflict sometimes there. And, and I'll talk to her about that with our kids. We work through things together. Our daughter's 13 now. That brings a whole new world whole of, yeah, uh, sure. you know, challenging situations and schooling, education. They were homeschooled for every year up until this year, but we work through those things together. So she's, for sure. But, but in, in ministry, various missionaries, pastors, those that have gone down these roads before me, I lean on these people. Th those are the big ones. Um, well, you know, it's, it, it's funny because I've done four or five of these. We're, we're trying to get the 10 of these before we roll things out in January and we'll get there. But, um, the last three interviews I've had, that question has produced the same answer. Yeah. My wife. Yeah. And, and I think that's a biblical statement because, you know, even, even the, the word of God says, you know, 
ask your wife, she thinks differently. And, uh, so oh, yeah. I, I, I am I thankful for her perspective. That, yeah. And like I said, I didn't always feel that way. I was uh, kind of selfish in that mindset, but me either to this day. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't do much without running something by her. Yeah. You talk to your brother a lot. Yeah. So yeah. obviously Jason is included in on that, you know, from a business side, he has earned his way and worked really hard to get where they are, yep. him and Nate together. And I love going into their office. For all of you that don't know, they own RNS uh, fencing down yes. at Dillsburg. Yeah. Big operation. I'm yeah. really proud of this. They're building a new, uh, they just bought property. That's what I heard. A new, yeah. a new building. And so, man, we're real proud of that. Yeah. And uh, real proud of him. Th- those guys are big, you know, supporters of Global Partners, which, we, you know, we're grateful for. But yeah, I lean on him a lot. My cousin, so Jonathan has two brothers. Okay. Uh, we all have more uh, other brothers as well, but Jonathan has two brothers. Steven and myself are literally three weeks apart. Jonathan mm-hmm. and Jason are a month apart, and then Nathan's in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so the Nathan is a chaplain for the U.S. Navy. He's okay. literally a SEAL and uh, I mean, worked extremely hard to get where he is. And the five of us have a group chat. Oh, nice. And, and okay. I, I'm telling Anything and everything that could be, quote, controversial or maybe, you know, whether it's in the church, gets whether it's in that culture. Yeah. yeah, we we throw it out. And it's not as, as, we don't chat as often as maybe we have in the past. But, I mean, I mean Nathan has a whole different perspective, you know, sure. being in the military and a chaplain than I'll ever have. So it's great to hear his perspective on things. You know, Jason's coming at it from a different angle. Jonathan's got so much wisdom with all of his life. So the those guys, without a doubt, now we're not together. We're not in the same area. So it's, it's nice that technology allows us to stay connected and, and we'd never know where Nathan's going to be. And Jonathan, he can't tell you. And Jonathan's in Jordan right now. Oh, is he really? Yep. Yeah. They're over there through Christmas and, and uh, serving the refugee community over there. So how do you work through your advice? You know, it's nice to get advice. It's nice to get advice from people that you care about and that you respect. But how do you work through vetting that advice in your own mind to say, okay, I get this advice. I think it's right, but I need to vet this. What's your process for vetting advice for working through that? Yeah. Well, for years, I used to just basically say yes to everything. Any opportunity that would come up, it was like, yes, let's do it. Yes, let's do it. And so I think as I've gotten older, you know, some of it is just self-vetting. Others is, is really just relying on those two or three people that are closest to me. Oh, Jonathan, of course, being probably other than Vicky, the next closest. Right. So yeah, if there's something really that I'm struggling with, bounce it off of him or the others in the group there. But a lot of it's self-vetting. And and some of that is being comfortable with saying no. I used to be afraid of letting people down and and I, I didn't like it. It was something that I would really make me emotionally, you know, kind of discouraged. Yeah. And I've had to learn that, you know what? I can't please everybody. Yeah, that's and, a big one. And I and I want to, I still desire to, but I've had to learn to walk away from things and say no to things and and accept the fact that some people aren't going to be really too maybe happy or agree yeah. with some of those things. But when you're trying to lock in and focus on something and yeah. a vision that God's given you, you really do have to sort of stay as much in that lane as possible. Oh, I think that's important that you mention that because a lot of our lanes, a lot of our visions are our visions. And unless you've got God attached to your vision and it's kind of like approved and by God kind of thing, I think you're right. You can go off in a different direction and, and it maybe not affect you, but. Yeah. And you know, when Nehemiah was building the wall, yeah, he said, I cannot come down 
He's like, because I'm focused on this wall. Right. And I have to get this wall done. And in those moments, he had to tell, turn people away. Right. And as much as he would have wanted to help, mm-hmm. he's, I, can't be a dis- I can't be distracted right now. So tell me about what's next for, obviously, your family's growing. They're getting older. They're getting into more things that need more attention. Uh, you're gone a lot, a lot of the year. I don't know how many days a year are you gone? Not as much as okay. we used to. And that's yeah. a focus that, again, had to say no to some yeah. things. Now, COVID caused some of that too. Sure. Uh, travel really slowed down through COVID. That's actually when I started coaching because I was like, well, I'm not traveling as much. You know, I can, I can coach. But next year, we'll pick back up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, I guess the, the question is, for the foreseeable future, what do you think's next for you? Do you see your kids getting involved in your ministry? Do you, you going to continue to force the issue with global parser? In other words, really push into other areas. Like what's, what do you, what do you feel like your, your personal mission is? Mm-hmm. What's next for, for you and your wife? And then what's next for global missions? Yeah. Yeah. Global and partners. the thing about global partners is our calendar year, if you will, kind of splits into different sections. Okay. You know, part of the year we're focused on this part of the year we're focused on this. Starting next year in January, myself and five others are going on a trip to Guatemala. And I have not been there before. Jonathan was there last April. And we really feel like this door is being opened for us to go and serve. We want to take large teams down there. So we already have a trip planned for June. And our our team in January is intending to go down there. We already have the connections there. Again, our team of six will go down there right. to really get to meet them and serve yep. with them. We're only there for four days. And then when we come back, we're going to hit the ground trying to get churches connected, people that want to go and serve. And we'll see, it could be 30, 40, 50 people that will, you know, take a trip down to uh, this Guatemala. Just totally missions related. Yeah. So like we'll church plan. in January, our team in January, there's a medical professional coming okay. with us. We have a contractor coming with us and then a pastor coming with us. And then three of us from Global Partners are going. Kind so evaluate the needs. Yeah. So then like. we'll have those teams. So we'll have medical teams. We'll have children's ministry teams. We'll have a pastor training team and we'll have a construction team when we go down there together. Mm. And we used to do this in Haiti. And what we found is if people go and serve, then they will really truly know the heart of yeah, who we are. Of course. And so in some ways, our goal is to get them to go. But that's not really the only goal. But if we get them to go, then... I mean, you have to have those. Let's face it. You know, we, we pray for God to do his work and do it how, how he wants to do it. But the bottom line is we're out there supposed to put foot, feet to those those plans. Yeah. And, you know, I know when I, I went to, to Mexico a couple times to build houses down, yeah. changed my perspective. Yeah. It totally changed my perspective. And not yeah. because, oh, you got me to go, so I guess I'm... No, because God got me down there and said, here's what the rest of the world lives yeah. like, Terry. You need to. And it, this isn't across the board, but most of our long-term sustainable givers, yeah. donor, which obviously as an organization, we depend on sure. those to give, are those who have either gone with us or have some exposure to missions you know, in their life. So it's important for us to get people to go and to get them on the ground. I'm also going to India again in February. So January, Guatemala, India, February, and then Guatemala back in June. And then that's the first six months. In India, we're, of course, continuing to work. We raised nearly $80,000 in our Running Water for Living Water event back in November. So that event team, if you will, has become a big part of my identity, which this just sort of fell in my lap. Terry, you knew me. You could... 
<laughs> I laugh about this because I even tell my kids this. I said, my freshman baseball coach one year, and I know there's certain thing, times of the calendar that you're not allowed to, st- you can't do baseball yeah. related, you know, the school, yeah. ca- the athletic calendar. But you, you called us in either the first week of baseball practice or the week before we were allowed to actually pick up baseballs. And you made us do aerobics. I don't know if you remember this. I do. You called an aerobics teacher yeah. and, and we were embarrassed because it was in the gym yeah. and the other kids were around. And, uh, but I'll tell you what I remember from that is it was hard. Yeah. It was harder than I thought it was going to be. And it was actually very, it, it did help us mentally yeah. to prepare for that. But the point I'm making here is the reason that I played baseball is I didn't like to run. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because that's my next question. Which came first, the runner or the race that created the runner? They tried to talk me into running track in high school. They tried to talk me into playing soccer. And you remember Tim Osborne? Yeah, he, he, he would take us on these two mile, like, I forget what he called it, runs. I was like, dude, this is ridiculous. This is August. <laughs> And I don't want to do this. I quit playing football when I was 13 because at that time I started working my job. It was, I did not like to, and I, I'm, you know, I feel bad saying that, but baseball, you didn't have to run. (laughs) I I could sprint short distances, but about uh, eight years ago, Dana, a friend of ours, Mike and Dana, she said, uh, Matt, I've always wanted to run in a marathon and I want to run to raise money for water wells. And I was like, Dana, that sounds awesome. And a year before we had another guy that had kind of done this and, and he ran in a, in a marathon, but she said, I don't want to do it by myself. I want to do it with others. Yeah. And it turns out that that summer I had been in Haiti and we had just started our, what we call the Rev home down in Haiti. And I really felt connected to the Rev home. And I told my wife, I said, we're going, I said, I want to take the whole family. We're going down there in November. We're going to go down from like for six weeks, we're going to go down and we're going to serve and we're going to help them. They're just getting started. And so we had made these plans to go down to Haiti and we didn't know what that was going to look like. Yeah. And, and it was literally a few weeks after that, Dana presents me with this opportunity. And I said, Dana, that sounds awesome. I'll do everything I can to help. But I said, I'm really sorry. I, I won't be here for it. And in my, in my heart, I was like, that was a close <laughs> one, right? Because, it, but then, so she starts putting this team together. Yeah. And next thing you know, they've got in, in Harrisburg, lets you run these relays and she's got four, she's got eight, she's got wow, she's got, and I'm like, what in the, this is really cool. And they, they designed, they designed a logo. They came up with a team name called running water for the living water. Yeah. And they have this really cool logo. And you know, before we even left for Haiti, some of this stuff was happening, right. but then I'm sitting in Haiti, having FaceTiming with them the day before, you know, they're going to run this race. And then I'm seeing all the pictures and the videos from the day of the race. And here I'm loving what we're doing in Haiti. Yeah. But I'm like, man, I'm missing out. Fired out. Yeah. Fired out. So we came back in early December. And of course, they they raised over $20,000 that year, which was amazing. There was 15 runners wow. raised $20,000. And I remember she came and sat down in our living room and she said, you know, we were both like, we think we have something here. Yeah. And I said, I'm not really looking forward to the running part of it, yeah. but I, I'm in. Yeah, And if you want to continue to do this, and Dana did it for seven years, she kind of retired from the team after last year. She went to India. She got to see the result of her work and, and it was amazing. And we did, we, we just finished our eighth year this last year. Yeah. We've raised over $600,000 total Is that in, right? in, in those, eight, in those years. eight years. So for Global Partners, we have, there's 538 wells now functioning in India and in Uganda. We have another 33 that are funded fully funded. That'll put us up to 577 or so, but probably half of those 
our running water for living water. Is that right? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I knew you didn't like to run in high school, but I didn't realize that that was such a, an angry part of your life, the running (laughs) part of your life. Well, so my former boss, who I've mentioned a few times, he was actually the one that blazed this whole running trail because he tried to talk me into running a full marathon. Mm -hmm. Once we announced we were going with Global Partners, he's on the board of directors. There's all these random connections. He says, I'm running this marathon. And he said, I think you should run with me. And I was like, Jeff, I run 90 feet, yeah, you know, yeah. from first to second, you know, yeah. at this time I was playing church softball, which is even less. Right. You know? And he couldn't twist my arm. He tried and he's, he's a good sales guy. He tried to twist my arm and he couldn't do it. And I, I really didn't want to do it. And I, I just flat out told him I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And so now Dana's the Harrisburg creates the relay thing, which yeah. is less than a full marathon. It's hard to train for a marathon. I ran the full marathon last year. Okay. It, it, it is a at least a three, four month commitment. Full time job. More. Sure. So when Dana said, you know, they have these relay options so you can run eight or five, essentially eight miles or five miles. I said, I think I can do that. And I literally ran around the block at my house, which is at best a half a mile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm talking, went out my driveway, ran around the block, came back. This was probably July, collapsed in the front yard. And I kid you not, I, in that moment, I texted Jeff and I said, I thought you said this would be fun. Yeah. And at what point does it become fun? And, and he can, you know, all these runner guys, I, I still, to this day, I have friends that run for fun. Kyle yeah. Davis, you know, yeah. he loves to run and, and I love Kyle. He's one of my best friends. Uh, he's been a huge supporter and he's been a part of the team since the very beginning. Some of these guys enjoy running. I still don't. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot to motivate me and go out and run. And if it wasn't for the wells and when I've been in these villages, so we really, we say we run so they don't have to, because these are people that are walking miles to get water and I've seen their faces and I've seen the joy on their faces and I've heard their stories of what they've had to do before. And that's the only thing that's really what motivates me is the running water for the living water, knowing that because of the wells, they will be presented with opportunities to be connected to a church and a pastor, somebody who's going to love them and serve them. And so without that, I don't think I would do it, <laughs> but I'm, I'm grateful that God has placed this in my lap and that I get to help lead this team year after year. Just this past year, we had 106 runners. The, the biggest year was pre-COVID. Mm. The year right before COVID, we had 200 runners and we were booming. I mean, mm-hmm. we were 25% of the Harrisburg Marathon. Field. Is that right? 25%? Yeah. They had about a thousand runners. We had almost two, we had over 200. And I don't even, yeah, I don't think they hit a thousand. We were at 200. And so we were booming and God was just, we had over 50 churches represented. It's been a struggle. Most of our runners were connected to medical field and education field. We had a lot of teachers and medical, that, that industry took a hit during COVID, as you can imagine. Absolutely. And those people were really just run thin, but we had 106 runners this past year representing over 30 churches. And so that's what I love about it. It helps me to connect with the churches in this area. And the people that want to make a difference. And I'm just grateful and thankful that it kind of fell into my lap and that I've been able to literally run with it <laughs> and see it be successful. Well, I think I think that's awesome. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you were just so against running, but it's, it's interesting <laughs> how what God will bring it bring you something, put it in your lap. He's like, oh, I'm probably gonna run. run. <laughs> how how do people go out and run for fun? Yeah, yeah. I, I know I it's know. there. And and I you know, I've experienced that quote, runner's high that they say. Sure. But it's Far and few between, right? Yeah. And that's limited. So obviously I want to thank you for coming in, but there's a couple of other little things I wanted to talk to you about. You know, coming from, went to a Christian school, high school, 
didn't go to college. I mean, yeah, so. I went to Liberty and, and I was it for you. Know, yeah. This we're at a really, we're at a strange place as a country, kind of bring it back to the U S kids are, they have a lot of issues they're dealing with. A lot of it's technology related, loneliness related. COVID was pretty hard on our youth. What kind of advice, if you could sit down with a group, and I know you do this occasionally anyway, but what kind of advice would you give to young folks that are, you know, your daughter's age and how really how to, to gain some stability in their life going forward? You know, my kids are in Arizona. I have a, you know, you know, both of my kids, Trevor's still trying to find his way, but he's, you know, he's a generally struggled with some of his direction, you know, over the years. What kind of advice would you give to young people? I remember when we were doing youth ministry, you had to look at the long game. And just because a kid shows up at the youth group or whatever, isn't necessarily a victory. The victory is getting them across this middle school bridge or this high school bridge and getting them into the, helping them to reach their next phase of life. And I think the advice that I would give and that I give to some of our, you know, our younger people, if, if I'm coaching and teenage years are a whole different world than the nine, 10, 11, 12, which I'm mostly surrounded by now is to don't put too much pressure on yourself. There is this comparison that's happening right now especially with social media. And if they're on their, if they have phones or they're on the Instagrams or the Snapchats or all of these TikToks, which, you know, we keep all that stuff away from our kids. If our daughter's only 13, like that world's going to come into her, her life at some point, but you can't be like everybody else. You won't be like everybody else. God has made you, you. That's why I love the body because, and we were talking about this earlier, some people are more equipped to serve locally. Some and explain the body, because obviously there's some people that aren't going to get what the body well, is. But the, explain. The, yeah, the, the comparison there is like, you don't expect your finger to be your eye. You don't expect your feet to be your hands. You don't expect your nose to be your mouth. The nose does what the nose is supposed to do. The eyes do what the eyes are supposed to do. And I have that, you know, because of my eye accident, I have this perspective of like, I'm you know, I'm grateful for my eyes because I know what it felt like to not have them for, you know, a short period of time. And so for my kids is they are gifted. They have to see their gifts. They have to know that they have gifts because my son, my nine, my 10 year old tells me the other day, he's like, the other kids just don't think I'm good enough. And I was like, dude, the reality is that the other kids aren't even thinking about you. <laughs> They're thinking about them. They're worried about what you think about. They're thinking about their world. They're not consumed by you. The truth is, is most people won't think about you. You have to work hard and kind of blaze this path and take what you're good at. And the more that you prove yourself, the people around you will start to take notice. And so like trying to work through those insecurities, because I think that's what most kids deal with and they're afraid to admit it. They don't want to talk about it, but help them to see the value in who they are. And that takes mentors and that takes you know, youth groups and after school programs, and, and they have to allow themselves to be poured into. And the struggle is, is that most of these kids have had people in and out of their lives, whether it's youth leaders or teachers or mentors or even parents who have come in and left and abandoned them and they give up. And so what do they turn to? They turn to the internet and they turn to social media and they turn to, but everybody's looking for approval. Right. And so again, 
and I know it's, it's hard because I wouldn't tell a kid this right away if I didn't know them, but if I was able to get to know them well enough, it's, it's, Hey, your identity can be in Christ. And it's not about who you are. We are his workmanship. We were created in, in him. But if we can, if we can depend on that, but for a 13 year old or a 14 year old to hear that, yeah, right. You know, so it's getting those foundational truths into their heart early, but not forcing it into them, not pounding it into them, not demanding it into them and allowing them to breathe and to experience the same things that I did. It took me until I was in my mid twenties to fully grasp like this identity of who I am. So planting those seeds, helping these kids to see who they are and the value that they have to the world. I think for me, and, and I'm hoping to get involved, get back involved with serving young people because I love it and I miss it, but that, that's where I would steer a kid because I think if they value themselves, that will change the way that they, you know, that they treat themselves. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, you had one thing on your website, uh, Global Partners website. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, mm. if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Mm. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Mm. Yep. And I think that was, uh, I think that's important. I think our actions are important. I think uh doesn't mean that you, you, you have to be out there every day doing some of the things that you do. I think there are lots of ways to serve. And like you said, people are gifted in different areas and they're burdened in different ways. And uh, just because you're burdened to help the guy down the street instead of the, the kids in India, doesn't mean you can't serve there. And I think, I think you're right. God uses the body in the ways that the, uh, that he wants to use them. I, I, I often use a, an analogy for people that are struggling in life and what does it all mean? And, and I said, well, first of all, you know, God's in control and I look at it as a kind of as a beautiful rug. If you look at the back of that rug, it's a lot of different crazy stitches and it's a lot of different confusion on that rug. And that's kind of how we look at life. I don't know where any of this leads to. I don't know how this all fits into my life. But when you turn that rug over, that tapestry that he's created is perfect. Mm. And all of those crazy things on the backside that you don't understand develop into a crazy tapestry of your life. Mm. And I think I've always kind of looked at it that way because I know there's things I don't understand. There's things in life I don't understand how this fits together. I don't know why, you know, this happened to my kids or why I went through a divorce, why that happened or, you know, but then I look at where I am in life and I look at uh, all the things that have happened as a result or God doing good out of my screw ups or God still bringing good out of the problems in life. And I think, you know, he's building, he's creating that tapestry in my life. So. I want to thank you, Matt, for coming and sharing your your ministry, your life, how you got from where we call it the grit behind the grind, obviously, and uh, kind of letting us get a little view into your your life and what you went through to get from where you were. Appreciate you kind of introducing us to your family and your ministry and the things that mean the most to you. So thanks for coming and sitting down with us for this time. I really wish you the best and and we look forward to becoming a part of your ministry. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to kind of end by saying that for me, Jesus really is, is who paid the ultimate grind. And because of him, 
He's what allows me to grow and has helped me to become as great as I am. And so I give all the glory to him and praise to him. And uh, I'm thankful for the eyes that he has helped me to be able to see, you know, what I've been able to see in this world. And so thank you, Terry. It's an honor. And I'm grateful for what you've done for me over the years and how you poured into my life as a 15-year-old and helped me to become part of who I am today. Well, thank you very much. And for everybody out there listening, thanks for tuning in to Grind to Growth to Greatness. Uh, We'll have another episode next week. So make sure that you look for that on all of your platforms that you find your podcast. You've been listening to the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. Our passion is to talk to the brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes, anyone who's made it and dive in to their struggles, their successes, and their secrets. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grind2Growth2Greatness. See you next time.